0: good morning everyone and uh, welcome to today's teaching. I'm looking forward to this very much. Um, uh, The the topic today is the joy of forgiveness and I want today's lesson to be um, not only a teaching time but an application time because uh, this subject is so important. It is so powerful that we need to attend to it not only to learn about it but we need to put it in play And so today, at the end, there will be some time, I hope, or I'm I'm planning to have a little time left over for everyone to apply this, to take some time out, to really think through what we've said today and put it into action so that at the end of this time together, we actually do forgive anything that is unforgiven. And sometimes that's very difficult to do. And so I hope through today's teaching that we'll gain not only inspiration, but know-how on how to go about actually forgiving. And, uh, and that we can take care of things and clean our slate and, and be filled with the joy that comes from that happen, happening. So this is sort of a, a work training, a work time, a work learning uh, time together. Uh, I know that in um, last week, those of you who uh, heard Grant's teaching, he's talking about the chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. Uh, the chapter of love, and in that he mentioned a section or he talked about forgiveness as an important part of love or how that's involved in not keeping a record of wrong. And uh, I want to build on that today. I'm going to go a little different direction. Um, I mean, I'm going to go to different verses to deal with that. I'm not going to be in Corinthians, but his teaching is supportive of and, and it sort of opens the door for me today as we look at Uh, forgiveness and particularly the joy of forgiveness and forgiveness can seem like a difficult and unhappy a very sad traumatizing almost event but I hope by the end of today we'll see how there's joy in forgiving and and we'll be motivated by joy uh, by the hope of joy to forgive so we'll continue like that I'd like us to pray because this is a spiritual exercise today and the evil one does not want you or me to be successful in this time um, even the last two days um, of this week preparing for today uh, I have had the worst headaches I've had maybe in my life and persistent it's been non-stop for two days today I'm fine thankfully but up until last night even at bedtime it was pretty pretty intense, and I don't know, but perhaps it's because of the the importance of this topic that in the unseen there's been dissatisfaction and unhappiness knowing that today was going to take place, and so we want to ask God's help in doing this. We prayed before we began this uh, videoing of things, but I want to pray with you now, so let's pray. Our Father and King, we come to you and pray for you to be with each person who is listening, as well as with me as I present. May we speak. May I speak what is true, and I pray for those who hear, that they will hear well, and that they will hear what you want to say to them about forgiveness or unforgiveness, and that you will work in all of us who hear this so that righteousness is born, a greater likeness to Yeshua, and that we can be free from any... Um, hurt or pain, and we can also be free from um, a sense of revenge or vengeance, that we can really have the joy of knowing what it is to forgive. So be with us and help us. May your spirit be, we invite your spirit to come and be with us in this study. We pray according to the, the name and the ways of Yeshua. Amen. All right, so there are a few verses that I'd like to read because forgiveness is big business in the kingdom of God. It's very important stuff. I mean, it's, it's kind of what it's all about. And so uh, I, wanna, I want us to look at forgiveness and a few verses that just um, uh, highlight and lift how important this subject is. So Mark eleven twenty five says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone... Forgive, So your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Man, it's so important that anything, little or big, anything that needs to be forgiven, should be forgiven because it affects our relationship with the Father and His forgiveness of us. It's a big business. And so we need to attend to it today, and we will. So Ephesians 4, verses 31 through 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God, uh, just as in Christ God forgave you, in Colossians three thirteen. Bear with each other, forgive one another. If you have any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So it's really big business. In fact, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, one of the favorite passages, is in Matthew eighteen. And if you have your Bible there, I really um, encourage you to flip over to Matthew 18 so you can see the flow of the stories that are linked together there to make a particular, that Matthew uses to make a particular point um, that G, that uh, Yeshua was holding up. So it's a situation where the disciples are together and um, they're debating or discussing, arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so Yeshua steps in uh, to solve the debate or answer the question and he does it with some very in a very interesting way, he calls a child over by himself and has the child stand there. And he says, um, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So they're asking the question, which one of us is the, is the top guy? And he begins the answer to the question by, saying, by pointing to a child. But then he goes on with his discourse. It's really interesting how he continues the conversation because it seems a little bit disjointed. The next thing he talks about is don't cause one of these children to stumble or to sin. He says, woe to the world because of things that cause people to sin. Not just the children, but cause people in general to sin. He says, such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. And then he goes another step and he says, if your hand or your foot cause you to sin cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Of course, hyperbole is overstating the case. But what the point he's making is that children are important. Other people are important. You are important. And he says, you know this to be true. Even you, you consider your sheep to be important. If one gets lost, you'll go after it because even one sheep is important. And so Yeshua is making the point in this In this discussion, to his disciples, when they're wondering who's the most important, his answer is, people are important. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, people are important. Little ones, all of them, strangers, known ones, friends, family, neighbors, and you are important. Every one is important, just like every one of your sheep has value and importance. It's worth going after. And so he's teaching his disciples that they're worth going after, that people are worth going after. But then, of course, there's, a, there's still one group that we wonder about and they were wondering about. And so Yeshua steps up to answer the question. He says, Now, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault between the two of you. If he listens, you've won him over. If he won't listen, take another person along. And he gives a... A step-by-step way of dealing with this brother who sins against you. So the question is, if someone does me wrong, if someone is in the wrong, if they're a bad guy, are bad guys important in the kingdom? Are bad guys valuable in the kingdom? How important are bad guys in the kingdom? Surely they've dropped a uh, a few levels, right? Because they're bad guys. They're sinners. They've done me wrong, and I'm important. And so Yeshua's answer is, well, if there's a bad guy, then go talk to him. See if you can work it out. But if he's really a bad guy, take somebody else along. But if he's really, really a bad guy, get more people involved. And then, of course, the question is, well, what if he's a really, really, really bad guy? Surely, at this point, it's dismiss him. And Yeshua's answer is, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And at first blush, I've always thought about that as meaning dismiss him, be done with him. Then you can say goodbye, hit the road, but I don't want to deal with you anymore. Get out of here. Until I began to think about how did Yeshua deal with pagans and tax collectors? He loved them. He loved them well. And I think that really is what Yeshua is telling his disciples. If the guy is really, 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 really bad, start fresh. Start fresh with him. Start over. Start at the ground level. Begin at the very basics and try to love him well. As you would a tax collector that you're trying to influence Matthew. And who's the one who is writing this This gospel, it's Matthew, the tax collector. So he knew how a tax collector would be treated. And how would that be? He would welcome him in. He would try to enter his home. He would try to bring him into table fellowship again. He would try to draw him in. That's how Yeshua would treat a tax collector. So how do you treat the bad guys in your life? You try. As far as it depends on you, you try to love them well. Try to treat them with value, with respect, and with dignity. Now, I know that there are people who are unsafe, and so it doesn't mean we put ourselves in, unsafe, in, in proximity to unsafe people. Uh, but I think you understand the point, is that our part is to try and start fresh and redeem the relationship. In fact, Peter gets this, and so he asks the question, and, uh, or Yeshua goes on, he says, "You know, whatever you bind on earth, be bound in heaven." In other words, things that you do here are going to affect in the spiritual realm. And so Peter understands what Jesus is saying, and he asks asks the question, so how many times should I forgive my brother? In other words, you've listed about three or four times here uh, situations where I should forgive him. So how far does this go? Seven times, Peter asks? And Yeshua says, seven times seventy. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy seven times, or seven times seventy. It's boundless. Um, Unforgiveness is is boundless. You forgive. Now, this reminds me, this seven times 70, or he says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. This reminds me, and I think there's a link here between this story of a person who has done wrong and an earlier story, the first time that three sevens in a row are mentioned, which is back in Genesis. Genesis. And we flip back to Genesis, early in Genesis, there's the story of the uh, lineage uh, from Cain and then the, the, the line from Seth leading up to the flood. And um, in this, the seventh descendant from Cain, seven generations after Cain, who killed Abel, his brother, there's this little biography, a little uh, two stanza biography of a man whose name is Lamech. And uh, Lamech gives this little. little, really it's an autobiography. He says this about himself. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. There's the 7 and 77 again. I think there is a menorah here. I think there's a something here where Yeshua would even be re- helping Peter to remember the story of Lamech and this uh, autobiography of his and how he dealt with when he was wronged. And his way of dealing with it is to to kill. Cain killed his brother. And so now that... Attitude of I don't like someone, or I don't like what they've done, and so my action is to kill. Is now transformed almost like a has become a, this little wind of of, uh, of evil that was in Cain has become a hurricane or a tornado in Lamech, so that he has killed a man and is boasting about it. That this is how I handle people who bother me is um, is I kill them or I take vengeance. So, so Peter asked, well, how many times do I forgive seven? And Yeshua's answer is this. Peter, doesn't matter how bad the guy is. Doesn't matter how bad the guy is. Forgive him. You don't take, you'd never take vengeance or revenge. You don't. Seven times 77. Remember Lamech, how bad he was? Don't be like Cain. Don't be like that branch. Be like the other branch who called on the name of the Lord, Seth. It says at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. Be like that branch. Don't be like the one that was destroyed because they took vengeance. They would not forgive. So I enjoy that story. Um, and so several we see how unforgiveness can spiral and grow generation by generation and it continues to get worse and worse. If we are unforgiving people, if we're vengeful people, Um, the world tends to be exacting towards injustice. But on the contrary, the kingdom offers the kingdom forgiveness is boundless. I'd like to read that again. The world tends to be exacting towards injustice, but the the kingdom forgiveness is boundless. And so I know today, our days, we're seeing a lot of uh, this sense of um, I should take revenge or there needs to be payback or uh, it uses all sorts of terms these days that aren't necessarily those that I just mentioned, but the attitude is there is that um, somehow things you need to do right by me and you better do right by me or else. And so that attitude is not the attitude of the kingdom. The kingdoms is one of forgiveness. <clears throat> I'd like to read um, this passage that Peter, uh, that was um, a, a passage that, that Yeshua said to Peter. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. But Why? Why do we forgive? Um, it's an important question. How do we forgive as well? And we're going to talk about both of those, both why and the how. First, the why, because you need to know why. It's important to know because knowing why behind an action can change the situation or our response completely. So, so why are we to forgive? Um, and I'd like to read what I've written so that, you, so that I, I say it like I really intend to say it here on why we forgive. This is maybe not what you would expect, but here's why we forgive. We forgive because injustice. That is a wound that is undeserved, or a hurt that is caused to us, but we we didn't ask for it, or we didn't do anything to deserve that. So injustice is an active force on a spiritual level. We forgive because Unforgiveness is not inert. In other words, we forgive because forgiveness or unforgiveness both have spiritual ramifications. They have a life that is in the unseen. It's not just tit for tat here, but something goes on at another level when we forgive or if we do not forgive. And that activity is living. It's like an infection in a wound so that the forgiveness of a wound uh, the sorry the unforgiveness of a wound festers it morphs it spreads and intensifies it becomes bitterness hatred and rage it can even become murder unforgiveness lives it grows it's a, it's an active force and so we want to not have unforgiveness in us because of the dangers that are that it can create, of the bad things it can create within us and the danger it can be to us. So this is why Yeshua counsels, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says, "Raka" is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Go be reconciled to your brother, then come offer your gift. Unforgiveness is dangerous to the one who holds it. Unforgiveness is dangerous to the one who holds it. Unforgiveness is a contagious, spreading leprosy affecting you. And if you're not cured, it will affect those around you. The reason to forgive, here's why we forgive. The reason to to forgive is to avoid further personal injury. Not because the other person deserves it, but because you deserve peace and because you don't deserve being hurt worse. Forgiveness is God's way of protecting you and of restoring blessing to you. That's the joy of forgiveness. The joy of forgiveness is freedom from further harm. It's protection from further harm. If you hold on, to wrongs, if you don't let them go, they embitter you, they hurt you, they depress you, they they become worse inside of you, and that can lead you down a very, very dark place. I think one of the uh, saddest stories in Scripture to me is the story of David and Absalom. Um, in 2 Samuel, if you want to be moving that way, 2 Samuel 13, 14, those those chapters contain this story of David and Absalom. It begins with uh, Amnon and Tamar. Uh, Tamar was, um, and Amnon are brother and sister to Absalom, David's children as well, um, half-brother Amnon was. And so he um, lusts after Tamar, a very beautiful young lady, Absalom's sister, and um, he seduces her he traps tricks her and traps her and then he rapes her when she refuses his advances and um she is of course broken um one can only imagine unless they've been through that experience what that would make her how that would make her feel and um how it could affect her heart well absalom um takes care of her he rushes to her aid when he recognizes what's going on he consoles her and he says be quiet my sister Um, he's your brother don't take this thing to heart And, um, and, and so then she lives with Absalom in his house after that he encourages her tries to encourage her feelings don't take this to heart he tries to encourage her that you didn't know he was your brother anybody would have trusted him you're not a bad person for trusting him I mean, you would have assumed that he would be safe to be with. So he tries to lift the guilt off of her or any feelings of of pain, and then he takes her in his home so that she has a safe place to stay. So Absalom's really a good guy here, Uh, a really tender-hearted, good guy. But Absalom takes it to heart. He picks up the offense towards his brother and for two years he plots and plans as this unforgiveness in his heart towards Amnon um, begins to fester and sometimes our wounds are not directly to us some of our family or our friends or those that we love have been wounded or have been done wrong and so we pick up that offense which is very dangerous for us but it's another form of unforgiveness and so Absalom is harboring this unforgiveness over these two years of time and plotting, and planning, and finally comes up with a way to deal with Amnon. And so he calls a big party, brings all the brothers together, and in that party he ambushes, or has ambushed Amnon, and he kills him. Then, of course, he has to flee, and uh, he has to hide. David is uh, informed of this. The brothers all finally come to David. Kind of, He gets the news of what has happened, what's taken place. It's very traumatic, as you can imagine. And... Um, And so now something begins between Absalom and David that grows. Again, it festers and and gets worse. It It goes from bad to worse. I wrote here something I want to read to you about this. I said David, and David made some mistakes here. It's clear that in this story that David doesn't handle things well. Absalom doesn't handle things well. In fact, I think Absalom didn't know how to handle things well because David didn't teach him. David didn't know how to handle things well when his family uh, wronged him. He didn't know how to handle it, and so neither does uh, Absalom. Absalom's wounded. He's estranged from his dad. David, David did nothing for Tamar. One observation. She, Tamar means a palm tree, uh, by the way. Her name, like I think the word Tamarisk, it comes from that. It's a, it's a palm tree or it's a kind of palm. I imagine it's a place where you could find rest, maybe dates, I don't know, if the uh, or, or some kind of food there. But it was a place of rest, a place of comfort, a calming place, a place where there has to be some kind of water. It's an oasis type environment. So here's this person that that uh, this lady named Tamar and David, but David did nothing for her. When she is abused, it doesn't indicate that he did anything other than he was angry, but he didn't do anything. So he does nothing for Tamar. He does nothing to Amnon, the brother who raped her. It doesn't appear that David does anything other than, again, he's angry, but he does nothing for Tamar. He does nothing to Amnon, and he does uh, nothing with Absalom. When Absalom uh, takes the actions that he takes, he he was um, not helping. He had not helped Absalom earlier take care of the sister, and uh, he does it at this time. Help him deal with this. He does nothing with him. So Absalom wanted a father who was as brave and concerned for his family as he was for God's family. I believe this is part of the wound that I believe this is part of the wound that Absalom felt. Is so that David was very enthusiastic and very um, energized, very committed to God's family, to the kingdom, to everybody else, but Absalom and Tamar and Amnon. David wasn't paying attention to home. He wasn't intervening for some reason in the the affairs of home. These intense and serious affairs. It should have gotten his attention, should have had his action. But he did nothing with it. And, um, and I think Absalom wanted a father who was as, who was as current concerned about his, his own family as he was about the family of God. I think Absalom wanted attention, devotion, and love. In a healthy way, he wanted those things. But he felt abandoned. He felt betrayed all alone. And, of course, some of you have felt that way. And do feel that way uh, from your parents or from others who, a spouse, who's too busy working or too engaged in other people or other things or their own pursuits or entertainments, who uh, plop down in front of the TV and and uh, and entertain themselves rather than coming in and listening to your day or helping out with the dishes or taking care of the kids for a little while. Uh, you may feel this kind of abandonment, aloneness, And it may build and become, there may be a sense of resentment or bitterness or having been taken advantage of or not being cared for, just like Absalom had. And the danger here is that this can grow, and it will grow, unless it's taken care of. It will fester. It will cause greater and greater division inside and and greater heartache in the long run. So Absalom's story illustrates, illustrates how a wrong uh, followed by revenge, adds to the destruction. There's a scripture, Second Samuel 14, 11, that we'll read in just a few minutes. It talks about adding to the destruction. In other words, things can go from bad to worse, and they will unless forgiveness takes place. Um, ironically, David, it's, uh, the scripture says, indicates that David loved his son Absalom. It says, Scripture says, Joab told Zeruiah, uh, he, the son of Zeruiah knew that the king's heart longed for Absalom. That's chapter 14, verse 1. He knew that, that David felt for Absalom. He longed for Absalom, but he didn't, know, or, he didn't know what to do with him. He didn't know how to reconcile things between the two of them. He did not know how to take the time to invest in his children. And that's why he lost Amnon and Absalom. Because David didn't know how to deal with his own people very well, how to reconcile, how to get forgiveness between people or between himself and his own kids. And so he let it go. He didn't pay attention. It was his mode of operation, David's mode of operation. He just let it go. He, let, he didn't deal with Tamar, he let it go. He didn't deal with Amnon, he let it go. Absalom, he didn't deal with Absalom. He let it go far too long. When he could have acted to restore the relationship and to seek reconciliation and forgiveness. And it would have avoided the, the extra problems that came along. So what happened is that one of the boys, Amnon, took uh, liberties. So he assaulted because dad was unengaged. He took liberties. He just went about his life and did what he wanted to do. The other son, Absalom, took vengeance And he decided he was going to make things right if his dad didn't, or since his dad didn't. And that vengeance added to the destruction with the near collapse of the kingdom, Absalom's ultimate death, and a change in the atmosphere of David's home from that day forward. After the whole story of Absalom happens, where he is, and you probably know this story, but just to review it, he um, he's estranged from his dad. He flees. He stays away. Dad won't have anything to do with him. Finally, through Joab, who who comes up with a a ploy to basically trick David or get David to think right again about forgiveness of his own son. He has this lady come in um, who, from Tekoa who who comes in with a story. She says I have two boys. They got into an argument. One killed the other one. Now the Avenger of Blood wants to, wants to kill the the one that's remaining. It's my my husband's only son. How are, can you help us? Can you protect that boy? And so David says, basically, sure, I'll take care of him. We'll protect him. And so then she turns the tables by basically saying, so why don't you take care of your son Absalom, who has done wrong? He killed his brother. But why don't you take care to make? Why are you taking vengeance on him? Why are you treating him uh, in the way you're doing? Why don't you forgive him the way you're going to want the avengers of blood to, to forgive my son? And she says this very important thing. She says, God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. And that pricked David's conscience. He recognized, yes, this is what God does. He works towards reconciliation. So he invites uh, Absalom back, but only part way. I think David still wanted to somehow exact some kind of vengeance on his son because he had taken the life of one of his other sons. And so David welcomes him back, but not into his home. And so for another uh, couple of years, Absalom is in town, but he's not able to come into the presence of the king. And um, and this is where in Second Samuel fourteen eleven Scripture says, "Then let the let the king invoke the Lord his God to prevent the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction, so that my son will not be destroyed." So this is where we get the idea that if we don't if we don't prevent vengeance, the avenger of blood, if we don't stop, if we don't forgive then will just add to the destruction. And it happens in David's home. It happens in his kingship after that. <clears throat> I think, for me, as I'm reading through in the passage, uh, the rest of David's story, he um, and Absalom's story, it, it just seems that with Bathsheba it began, but with Absalom it moved forward. And that David's home, the atmosphere of the kingdom, David's activities, they... They seem to sour. It's like a stale air comes in and settles over David and the rest of his story. There are a few highlights of repentance and those things we see in the Psalms, but in general, it's just like things are going great guns. The kingdom is advancing. David is prospering. He's going from one victory to the next victory, and he's a shining star, and the kingdom gets confirmedly from Hebron to Jerusalem. Everything's under his hand. Control, and things are great, and then it takes a dive. And with Absalom, it just like everything goes gray. There's no bright sun anymore. And and this this instance with Absalom just uh, caps what began with Bathsheba, as as a, a yeah a stale air comes over the story of David in the scriptures. David is never the same vibrant man that he was before uh, the account with Absalom. Forgiveness, though, would have restored his joy. He didn't quite forgive Absalom. He brought him in, but he kept him at a distance. It's almost like you can come, but just, we got, there are some things I still want to see from you first or I want to do first. So he stops short of full forgiveness. And that's not to forgive. It's not enough. The destruction will continue. So it's important for us to forgive and to forgive completely those who have sinned against us. So the question, though, is, well, how do we do that? Um, That's what we want to do today is to talk about how do we forgive? Why do we forgive? Because it hurts us if we don't. We want to forgive so we prevent further evil, uh, the the advance or the spread of evil in our lives or destruction in other people's lives. And so how do we do it, though? You know, And, um, and as I talk about this, this is for some, in some situations, this is really, really difficult. Um, I've had my levels of difficulty. For some of you, what you're going to have to deal with is so much more intense, so much more horrific than than I can imagine but I encourage you that your joy will be that much greater I encourage you that there it's possible to do this and I encourage you that it is good for you it will be to your benefit to do this but how how do we forgive <clears throat> you know forgiving the 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 brush or the bump of a person who's hurrying through the crowd and, and happens to bump you is one thing but But there are deep hurts that are degrading and and even criminal in nature. And so what about those? Um, And I'm sure some of you who who have those types of wounds or have friends with those wounds, you're imagining right now what those are like. (coughs) Excuse me. And those are difficult. (coughs) They are egregious. Like I said, they're criminal. They're painful beyond what most of us can even imagine. If you've suffered something like that in your life and there's been no one come around to apologize, then I would like to say I'm sorry that those things happened to you. They shouldn't have happened to you. God never intended them to happen to you. Satan is evil. Satan cares nothing for us. Satan's a brute. He's a bully. I'm sorry. Really, really sorry that those things happened. I wish they hadn't. And I know the Father wishes they hadn't. There's no excuse, though. I mean, it it happened. Um, it wasn't right. It isn't fair that you have to deal with it. It's just plain wrong. But there it is. It's, it's sadly, it's in your lap. It's, it's, uh, it's at your feet. It's on your plate. And, um, and so you have to decide what are you going to do with it? Are you going to keep it? Uh, do you want to keep it? Or do you want to get rid of it? Do you, you could ignore it but really you can't. You can not pay attention to it, but really it keeps coming back. It's always there. It will resurface again. Um, so do you want to deal with it and get it over with and be rid of it once and for all for good? Well, what about the person who's unwilling to apologize? What if what if someone's done you wrong and they won't come back and talk to you? What if they didn't, didn't, don't even know that they did this to you, that they hurt you so deeply? Um, what if they live far away or they're not, and there's no way to communicate with them to work it out? What if they've died and they're not around? So what do you do with the problem in these situations? I want to encourage you with the words of Yeshua. He says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Basically, he's guiding you back to peace. He's taking you to Tamar. He's taking you to the palm tree, to the oasis, uh, the peaceful place, a place of peace and restorations. He's saying to you, forgive and let me handle the rest. Give it to me to make it right. So you see, we want to make it right. We want justice to be done. We Something happened to us that we don't deserve, that we didn't Cause that we didn't ask for, but it happened to us. So it's as if the scales of justice have, have become imbalanced. Um, I think of the, of the time when Joseph's brothers were leaving the city and they have their, their saddlebags full of grain on their, their donkeys or mules or whatever they had, their animals. And so they're, they're going out of town and in the bag of Benjamin, the gobl- the Joseph's cup has been put, secretly put in there. So they're going along, and then just as they get out of town, here come the camel, you know, the Egyptian police when they're camels with blue lights, and they pull up beside the guys and pull them over, and they say, hey, we want to see your, your ID and your license, your registration. So they, get, they go through every guy's bag, and as they go through each bag, they're fine, they're fine. The guy's are like, hey, we're good. We haven't done anything wrong. And then they get to Benjamin, and they reach in, and some guy pulls out a cup that isn't his, that he didn't put there. Can you imagine how that felt to those guys? Shock, fear, panic, total, uh, what do we do? Confusion, we don't know where to go, what to do with this. And you try to explain yourself and you're innocent, but you, you have to bear with the fact that somebody else put something in that bag and now you have to deal with it. The guys have to deal with it. That's how it feels. Injustice. Here's the scales, the saddlebags, if it were, and then somebody puts something in or takes something out that they shouldn't. And suddenly there's imbalance, there's injustice. In fact, the word mishpat is in Hebrew there. One of the words for injustice is mishpat. The word for saddlebags is mishpatim. And you see the connection. Something adds to or takes out what they shouldn't, Then suddenly things are in an imbalance. And so... How do we handle that uh, when things are no longer at peace, but there's chaos or there's pandemonium, there's upset? Yeshua says, forgive and let me handle the rest. Give it to me. I will make it right. Trust me that I will deal with them in the most perfect and just way. I'll handle the injustice. I would encourage you to trust that. God says, I will take care of that person. Give them to me. And trust that I will handle that in the best, most just, and loving way. I'll do it right. I will make the the wrongs right. I'll fix it. Now, we don't want to be like David, who didn't deal with the injustice done to Tamar, who just ignored it. We don't want to do that. Uh, we don't want to be like Absalom who tried to, to deal with it in his own way. And, but we do want to take Absalom's advice to his sister when he said, Be quiet, my sister. Don't take this thing to heart. And I would like to say, I think that probably indicates, don't take this thing into your heart. Let it be separate from you. You are you. This thing happened to you. Let God deal with that person and what they did to you. Keep the two separate don't take it into your heart. Otherwise, it hurts you. It festers and grows within you. So here's the way that I encourage us today and to, you to take these things and to put it into play. Because as I started out, I said We're gonna, we want to do a teaching, but we also want to do an application. Because this is a chance right now, today, there's a real chance here for a lot of freedom. For true, truly for new starts, for joy to return, to rush in, to fill places that have not seen the light of true joy for a long time, but have been overshadowed like David's home. Uh, the gray has been there. And I want you to have that joy. I don't, I want you to have that joy, but the Lord wants you to have that joy. So here's the way to do it. Here are the steps that I encourage. First, face the truth. It happened. Whatever they did or said or didn't do, whatever it happened. Whether they meant it or didn't mean it, whether you you understood it right or misunderstood, whether you could have done something at the time, prevent it or change it, doesn't matter, it happened. So acknowledge, this has happened. Secondly, um, acknowledge the pain. Allow yourself to to be honest with what you felt and how you feel. I'm hurt, uh, enraged. I was embarrassed. I was defiled. I was physically damaged. I was emotionally scarred. It's made a difference in my future. I lost an opportunity. Whatever the damage was that you felt, allow yourself to acknowledge the pain and do that. Fully acknowledge, these are the things I felt. Here's how this affected me. Third thing is, forgive the offender. By deciding to give God permission to take charge of dealing with the person. Trust God. This is a faith matter. It's a decision. You decide whether you're going to trust that God will really right the wrong in the right way. That he won't ignore it like David. That he won't um, somehow mishandle it like Absalom. But that God will handle it the right way. Trust that He absolutely will deal with them in a perfectly loving but perfectly just way. And God alone can do those two. The wrongdoers will be dealt with. Give it to God to do and then relax that it is as good as done or that it is done. You can lay this burden down. And when you do, it's finished. And then, last, move on. Move on with your life, free of having to deal with that. You'll care for the residue. You'll have to deal with the outcomes of it, but you can do that. You have been. But the person, you can forgive by saying, I no longer hold this against them. I'm going to move on with my life. God, they're in your hands, and I I give them to you to deal with. And I trust that you will do what is best for them and for me. And I release it. I no longer have to go and wring it out of them. I have no longer have to go and try to make it right or bear it all on my own. I release it. And so you forgive. Forgiveness isn't saying it didn't happen. It's saying it happened. Forgiveness isn't saying it didn't hurt. It did hurt. Forgiveness isn't saying, well, they have license to do whatever they want to do to me and to others in the future. And that isn't right either. Forgiveness is saying it happened. It hurt. I'll have to deal with the consequences. But God, they're in your hands and i allow you to take care of them in your just and loving way. I trust you. And it's releasing them into his hands and then you move forward with you in his hands as well. Um, it's interesting here as we, as we move to a close and I'll, tell, I'll share a personal story with you about forgiveness for me that was very meaningful and very powerful in my life. Um, the story i I've, i think of here is, um, is of my dad, um, when I was about 36 or seven years old, I, um, someone sat with me and told me these things that I'm sharing with you. And, and so, um, I didn't, I, I asked the Lord that day to, to let me know if there's anyone that I had not forgiven And honestly, I thought, I've forgiven everyone. I don't have any problems with anybody at all. I'm a pretty easygoing guy, and I like to get along with everyone. So my dad had passed away years before when I was about 17 or 18, about 18 years old, had lung cancer, and died pretty quickly after getting the cancer about two or three months. Um, Actually, about two months. And so... um, um I asked the Lord, is there anyone that I need to forgive about anything? And I just paused in prayer and waited and just kind of quiet to see if I had any thoughts. And I had one. And it, and the thought was this. Within, you know, it happens in a second, but it seemed like longer. But my thought was, you're dead. And then my mental response was, I don't understand or when. And then I had a memory of my dad walking into my baseball game. I was in high school. I was out in center field where I played on our team. We had a big, nice stadium. The school did. And there was an image of my dad walking in on the third base side of the stadium, and he was drunk and silly. And my dad would get really loud and silly when he was drunk. But he walked in, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm embarrassed. I want my dad here. Desperately, I wanted my dad there, but not like that. And I was embarrassed. I was ashamed to have him come in silly and drunk. You know, I don't remember the actual event. It's been blocked out of my mind somehow. I don't remember that. I could not have told you up to that moment of that day that my dad walked in. But in my prayer time, as I listened that was revealed to me and I could, have, and I remembered and so the thought the conversation between the Lord and I continued in that prayer where as I saw that and I felt my embarrassment and I remembered feeling resentful that my dad had done that to me um, the thought with it came he didn't know any better see my dad's dad was a raging alcoholic and a mean man and so my dad had not been taught how to behave. And that thought came to me. He didn't know any better than he did. And I was able to forgive him right there. I was able to say, you know, I was embarrassed. I was humiliated in front of my friends. And that was wrong. And my dad's not alive to tell me he's sorry. But I'm able to say, God, I turn him over and that, all of that to you to take care of. He didn't know any better. You'll take care of him. I'm not going to carry that wound with me anymore. And I'm just going to go on with my life. And I'm not going to try and worry about that or deal with that or try to go back and fix that. I'm not going to deal with that. That's in your hands. And I release my dad into your hands. That was liberating. And I didn't even know it was working in me. But it was working in me. It was deeply working within me. And so I was able to be liberated, so that that didn't continue on or fester in my in my life towards myself or, or my relationship with my sons and I. Um, I want to end by summarizing. I want to tie some loose ends together here as we finish up, and uh, and then I, I send you out with your your uh, marching orders for the day. Um, this seven seven seven. We remember we mentioned that with Lamech, and we mentioned that with Peter, as, as Yeshua talked to him about forgiveness. And it's really interesting that back in Genesis, where Lamech, who is the descent, the seven generations down from Cain, Lamech says that he's, uh, he, um, he is avenged, if, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Well, if you just keep reading about another chapter over, there's another Lamech. And this one is about seven generations down from uh, Seth. And Seth is the brother. who says that from that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so here's a generation that's more righteous. In fact, all the descendants who lived, all, all of Cain's people were killed in the flood. All of Seth's people live. And so we're descendants of Seth. So it comes from Seth down to about seven generations. Here's Lamech. Another Lamech. And it says, Altogether, Lamech lived 777 years. And then he died. Three sevens. Three sevens with the first Lamech and the evil, vengeful man. Three sevens with the second Lamech. And it's interesting to know, this is, and when Lamech had lived 182 years, he had a son. And he named him Noah. And he said, he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground the Lord had cursed. You see, Lamech and his people were suffering from the sins of Adam and Eve. The ground was cursed and they had to deal with it. Something was put in their bag. Something tipped the scales against them that they had nothing to do with. Yet they had to bear the consequences of it. So here comes Lamech and he says, he named this boy Noah, for he will bring us comfort. And lo, and it was through Noah that at that time, Lamech and his people, the first, the bad guy Lamech, were basically turned over to God and God took care of all of that. And Noah in, is is the beginning of God's, refreshing, the beginning of bringing everything back online, the beginning of getting the rights wronged. And and it's through Noah that new life begins. In fact, um, it, well, it is the beginning of the new, uh, the restoration of the earth through Noah, whose name means comfort and peace and rest. So you can find rest and comfort when you forgive, when you don't take vengeance or revenge in your own hands. You don't have to exact from someone, tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but instead, you realize how valuable they are, and you realize how valuable you are, and you trust that God will not let one sheep go unattended to, neither you nor them, and that the best thing to do is say, God, this happened, and I have to bear the consequences. But you will take care of them in the most loving and just way. I trust you. You know how to make the scales right. I don't know. I'll make it worse. And so you've released those people and those situations into his hands for him to take care of, knowing that it will be dealt with. You can take a breath. You can rest like, and, and have comfort like the land, like the world had at the time of Noah, after the second Lamech. So here's the marching orders. Here's what I want you to do. And if you haven't already taken this in an earlier in a note, write these three things down. Three things to do To uh, to deal with unforgiveness in your life. And everyone should do this. Whether you right now think you need to forgive anyone or not. And so the first thing you need to do is ask, is there anyone that you need to go ask forgiveness from them? Is there anyone that's coming to mind right now that you know you've offended, you've done something wrong, that you 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 wronged them, and you need to go make that right? So if so, you need to go offer that to them and ask them to forgive you. But for those of you to, for the, who have, uh, for, for all of us, I guess, what we need to do today are just three things. One is... Ask God to bring to mind anyone and everyone that you need to forgive. Find a moment to do this. It it won't take long. But have your paper ready, have some notes ready to write down the names of every person, every person that he brings to mind. If it's one or ten or or more, just write down their names. And then as you do, write down um, what they did and how it made you feel. All three of those things. Their name, what they did to you that hurt, and, and how it made you feel. Write those down. You need to connect. You, have, you, you need to say, it happened, and here's how it's affected me. That's because we need to be honest about the whole thing. And then, when you've made your list and you have the names there, forgive them. It's a choice it's not a matter of feeling good about it or feeling like you want it or don't want it or feeling good about them that's not the request the request from god is to be is to make a choice to forgive decide if you want to hold on to them and to their woundings uh, to that stage in your life or to that moment or if you want to hold on to the thing the pain the memory or if you want joy and freedom you have to choose which one you want And if you want joy and freedom and you don't want to hold on to that painful history, then uh, turn them over to God. Tell him, Father, I let this go into your care. I trust you to deal with them. I trust you to help me through the pain, to deal with the fallout, to deal with the effects. And I trust you to help me move on through every day ahead in my life. I trust you and let it go and move on in the joy of forgiveness. Please, I encourage everybody, do this. Do it today. Don't put it off. Find a time. Do it. Do it well. Do it thoroughly. Take the time it takes and be set free because there is joy waiting for you. There is a blessing. There are many blessings waiting for you. A Noah, a new world is waiting on you as he brings this peace to you in relationship to these things that have happened. I'm sorry they've happened. God didn't intend them. But he can set you free, and he can restore your world, and he can bring you the new life, which is life abundant, which is what he said he came to bring. So may Yeshua be blessed, and his name lifted up, and his ways be adhered to, so that we may be his people, a light to the nation's, so that we may be his people and live in his home, so that we might be restored to him as he intended. Yeshua be blessed. The Father be blessed. We are a blessed people, aren't we, to know this if we do it. So God be with you, and God be with us all.